Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here. Hope you're all well. We will be speaking about the third option. This class is dedicated in memory of Elisa Shoeki Blank Bat Simantov. May the teachings here be stand in merit to her soul and to uh, the family and, uh, and uh, every impact that what we will be sharing today is obviously going to have direct benefit to that soul. So, with that, let us go to the topic at hand. And the topic is about, the subject is the third option. When faced with a dilemma, do you usually find yourself stuck between two stark options? Yes or no, right or wrong, hold or fold, Proceed or retreat? Do you tend to look at things in black and white? Or in extremes? Do you see people in terms of being your friend or foe? When someone hurts you, do you write them off? When you run into an obstacle, do you easily give up? These are all questions that are meant to provoke and look at how we approach things and our attitude and our um, mindset in all areas of life. And you'll be surprised to find that we have usually a very myopic view on things. When we only have two options, in the sense of two-dimensional look at life, then what often happens is then our situation is such where we have to either take one extreme or another extreme. Well, this is due to uh, social conditioning or it's due to our um, upbringing or due to lack of training. This view on life, that everything is either good or bad, can seriously limit us from achieving our goals and beyond, as well as impede the great potential in our lives and our relationships. So we're going to be discussing a new and a completely fresh and new approach, which you may or may not have heard of, which can actually open up new vistas and new horizons and new possibilities, literally. Offering basically what we'll call the third option, a third way. One that looks beyond the immediate and the obvious two-dimensional perspective and finds a third way to see things. It's going to be based on a Kabbalistic concept, which is called the third path, and you'll see that it defines and, as I said, opens up for us an entire new perspective of how to look at things. So the black and white view on things is usually associated with uh, children immaturity. You know, there's no gray. It's either right or wrong. There are absolutely situations where we actually do have that type of approach. And that is a, uh, a type of uh, absolute. This is right. This is wrong. There's no question about that. But most areas in life do not fit into that model of right and wrong. They fit into much more into a, um, the nuances that are necessary for us to succeed in life by recognizing that things are not black and white. But many of us, when we think of it that way, think, okay, you know what, when we're younger and idealistic and more naive, things are very stark in that sense, defined. And then later we learn to so-called waffle or um, compromise dilute 
That's not the case. Life indeed, because it's a multifaceted life, as we shall discover, therefore, it is really not about two dimensions. There's at least three dimensions, and probably more. And when you appreciate that, you suddenly realize there's things that are not just right or wrong. For example, let's just take the way bees um, pollinate, cross-pollinate. They come to a uh, flower, they, take, they eat its nectar, and that's what they benefit from. And then they implant the pollen into another plant. Now, on its own, you could think that the bees are being selfish if you didn't know otherwise. But you see, that's not that case. They give and take. So to say that the bees are taking care of themselves and the flowers are taking care of themselves is not correct. There's a third dimension going on here, what we call synergy. And all over nature you find that synergy, where it's not just a black and white thing that one benefits and the other one loses. Everything benefits because they all have their own individual identity. So one identity, a second identity, and then there's a way that they converge and cooperate with each other. And that's where comes the third dimension. But the third dimension is always more invisible. It's not that black and white. And that's what we will address. Now in nature and the human body, that comes natural to us, the synergy. But in human relationships and our human interactions and our choices that we make, there it gets much more complicated. Because we could become very myopic, as I mentioned. We could become insecure. And we feel someone's taking something away from us. Someone's stepping on our turf. And that's where you have the problems where we become, we close off, and the give and take that's necessary to really appreciate any situation can be deeply compromised. For example, if a person's been hurt in their lives, so obviously they're always going to have that defensiveness, that's going to be their knee-jerk reaction, and don't let someone else in. What happens? They may be protected, but they'll never have the benefits of, first of all, growing personally in that relationship, and second, benefiting from the other person, and as, as well as giving and taking. So in the Kabbalistic concept of these things, there's a concept of a unit, a duality, and then a synergy, a convergence. Simply, let's use, let's use the numbers, one, two, and three. When something is a singularity, a singular entity, it's one, and does not have a competition, doesn't have another, another force countering it. As soon as you have two forces, two voices, two individuals, two opinions, you right away have the potential for conflict. And many of us, that's where we get ourselves stuck. Because it's either conflict or it's retreat. Either we're going forward or we're going to retreat. We see someone else that disagrees with us. However, that's not seeing it through. The other individual is not just another opinion. That opinion, if you allow yourself to harness it, to cultivate it, to appreciate it, can actually help you grow in your opinion. It would be like any type of brainstorm. You have an idea, a great idea. You present it to other people you respect. They may argue with you. They may challenge you. But out of the whole process will come out an even more clarified and crystallized concept. That's the number three. In the expressions used in the prayers and other places, the idea is one verse says one thing, another verse says another. Then comes the third verse and is reconciled between the two. And you'll see this in any healthy process, in any healthy organism, that is the key element that really makes things healthy. That what? Not just that there's one and two, but there's a number three that unites the two, or actually finds the benefit in each of them. It transcends them both, 
and as we'll also discuss, also allows you to synthesize both. So when, how does it play itself out in the, let's put it in the Kabbalistic structure of things? The Kabbalists, the Kabbalists talk about the ten spheres. The ten spheres are the key, the building blocks, the DNA of all of existence. They exist on every level, on every dimension, from the material world through all the spiritual worlds and all the cosmos. The ten spheres are structured, you can say like ten, one through ten, but the key thing to remember is that they're not just structured in a linear fashion, they also have a structure that defines the structure. A linear fashion would be, you know, number one is here, number ten is at the bottom. There's another way it's structured, is that they actually create the structure of the human being. There's a right, a left, and a center. So there's the right brain, left brain, center brain, Chachma Bina Das. Right arm, left arm, heart. Chesed Gvura Tiferes, the Hebrew spheratic structure. Netzach Chayd Yisod. Netzach is the right leg, Chayd is the left leg, Yisod is the genitals, the sexual organs. And Malchus is the tenth sphere. It's also considered to be a center, but usually the feminine dimension. So what do you have here? You have not just ten, you have actually a series of three, three, and three. Sometimes looked at as a segel. A segel in Hebrew would be like a dot to the right, Chachmabina to the left, Das in the center. Chesed to the right, Gvura to the left, Teferis in the center. That's the Hebrew for these spheres. I'll soon translate them. Netzach to the right, Hoy to the left, Yisod in the center, and Malchus also in the center. So if you think of it that way, it's actually like three lines. So what are these three? Chachma, as I said, right mind, the concept, conceptualization. Bina is the comprehension and understanding on the left. Das is the internalization and the um, recognition, the resonance of the idea. Then you have chesed is kindness on the right. Gvura is discipline on the left, sometimes like water and fire, blue and red. And then you have teferis is the synthesizer in the middle. Compassion, beauty. Beauty is always not one color, not one musical note. It's the convergence of many different notes of many different hues and colors and shades into one beautiful um, mosaic. Netzach is determination. That's right. That's aggressive, like love, giving. Choyd is humility, yielding. So it's the counterforce to that, the left. And Yesod means foundation or bonding. That's in the center. And Malchus, dignity, again, is in the center. So if you look at it this way, what you have is like this. Chachma, Chesed, and Netzach are one are all the right side, which is wisdom or conceptualization, kindness, and determination or ambition. On the left, you'll have Bina, understanding, comprehension, discipline, withholding discipline, and yielding. And in the center, you'll have four. Das, which is the internalization of something. Teferis, which is compassion or beauty. Uh, Yesod, bonding. And Malchus, dignity. I'm not going to go through the whole explanation of how each one fits into it. My point that I want to make is that this is what defines structure. You look at any architectural structure, you look at even human structure, anything, for it to stand needs the minimum of three legs. Something with two legs cannot stand and be balanced. Four may be more balanced than three, but three is the minimum. And in the human body, we have right, left, and we have the centrifugal power, force, of the spine. So though the spine branches out to the right and to the left, but you need to have one central, central, central beam, in the words of the Bible, it was when they built the temple, they also had this idea that the walls were connected 
with, with um, bars or with 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 um, with brichim, um, uh, it was called, which means like essentially like a wooden bar that would be connected through um, with loops to the walls. But then there was one brichatich in the center, the center um, beam. Would, would connect all the walls together because that creates the balance. Balance is the key word here, balance. So one and two, as powerful as they are, they don't have the balance until you have number three. And that number three is Tiferes, as I defined, the beauty. It's the synergy that is both a combination of the one and two, transcends them both, and synthesizes them both. Which, of course, is a whole different... All, each element is necessary here. Let's play itself out in a relationship situation. Two people have a relationship. Whatever relationship, whether it's brother, sister, parents, children, spouses, friends, co-workers. So relationship, by definition, means there's a relationship between two entities. This person has certain opinions. This one has different opinions. They cooperate with each other. Fine. But let's say they come to a disagreement. What happens then? There's a disagreement. What happens? So either they just break apart and the, and, and the disagreement uh, tears them apart and they no longer are friends and cannot coexist, or one defers to the other, or the other one defers to the other. That seems to be the only options. I mean, they could also ignore the whole situation, but let's say they need to resolve it. So again, either they, they have to part, part ways, or one compromises or the other one compromises. Now, of course, there's a scenario. They both compromise and they meet halfway. But is there a possibility that both of them can be right in the fullest sense without compromising and reach a deeper level of synergy that you would not have recognized or not have reached without the two different opinions? The answer is absolutely yes. So again, there are situations of right and wrong. There's situations of partnerships where you see you know, two people negotiate, let's say, a deal. And this one says, I want a million dollars for it. This one says, I want half a million. They meet halfway. And both feel the other one compromised a bit. No one got everything they wanted. That's compromise. But there's something more than compromise, and that's called mediation. More than mediation, something called where, they, where someone, a wise person comes and shows that both of you can have exactly what you want, and each of you can complement the other and benefit, and not only not get compromised, but actually grow through the other. Now, not every scenario is this possible, but in many scenarios it is. And this is what real synergy is about. If the human body, for example, all the organs in the body, each one would compete for resources, and they wouldn't understand how they all are a symbiotic relationship that gives and takes, we'd have a nightmare. Same thing with nature. What happens at the end in the analogies that I gave earlier, and, and other, any analogy you use, is that different components of a larger whole recognize not only am I not compromised by the other, but by me yielding to them, allowing them to be, I, not only does the organism healthier, but I'm also healthier as a result. The key, however, is to recognize that type of humility, to recognize that you are what you are, but you also need the other. So when it comes to relationships, this is where most relationships fall apart. You'll have one maybe dominant individual, the other one is more passive, and that's how it works. But what happens there, even if it doesn't build resentment, which in most cases it will, there isn't a balanced relationship. 
One is the dominant one, the other one is passive and uh, does not, and, and is always yielding or compromising themselves. Or you have a situation where arguments uh, tear them apart, tear them asunder, and they can't find a way to reconnect. The third dimension, the third option, allows for a new approach, which is let us both transcend ourselves and look look at the bigger picture and what's the benefit of the bigger picture. And when you realize that, you say, okay, based on that, it's not just about me or about you. It's about a goal that we both share. And to get that goal, we need to have your strengths and my strengths. And we need to cooperate. And we need to complement each other. And there are situations where one actually will have input that the other one needs because they're not strong in that area. And vice versa. Now, why don't we always reach that place? Is because we get stuck due to either insecurities or, as I said, lack of training or due to unhealthy conditional, uh, unhealthy social conditioning or just uh, the short span of our attention spans and our laziness that blocks us from seeing it through. So we see some type of disagreement right away. It's not going to work. Or it'll only work under these conditions. A healthy person is going to explore every possible option to recognize and realize that problem that may be great benefit. There may be great benefit by actually creating a, a larger whole, a synergy. Let's use alphabet as an example. Every word written, every word expressed is a combination of letters. Let's say the word uh, blessing. Use a positive word, blessing. To bless. Bless is B-L-E-S-S. B is a very significant, a very unique and distinct letter. As is L, as is E, as is S, and as is S. Now, in the, in the context of letters, obviously they don't have free will, so there's not going to be any conflict. But if B, just for argument's sake, use, let's use an imaginary uh, exercise here. And we say B, letter B says, you know what, I don't like letter L. I like my letter, I like how I sound, I like what I look like. And refuses to, 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 to experience letter L. What will happen? A word will never be created. The word bless will never be created. B says, you know what? I'm the first letter of this word. For me to be complete, in order to convey the idea of a blessing, I need an L. The L says the same thing. Though I have my strengths and I know what I am, I need the B. They both know they need the E. The E knows it needs them. And they all need the S and vice versa. This is a perfect example. If each one is locked in their own space, the word will never be created. I know it's like almost a childish example, but this plays itself out in more serious implications in our personal lives, where we decide I am me and just I don't either, either I don't trust anyone else or they will not understand me or they don't have the strengths I have, whether it's arrogance, whether it's misplaced arrogance, whether it's uh, arrogance that is concealing ignorance or whatever it may be, it creates a self-contained attitude that is actually undermining yourself. A B is a beautiful letter, but it would never be part of the word bless had it not joined other letters to make one word. So the letter one, so number one is the unit. Number two creates duality and plurality, and you have many different units. And the third path, the third option, looks at all of them and says, how can I join them all together into one beautiful mosaic, one beautiful um, synthesis? that creates something larger than the sum of the parts, greater than the sum of the parts. 
So in the Kabbalistic structure, the Teferis, the third path, is critical because we're not talking about compromising, we're not talking about eliminating the individuality of each particular component. It's now bringing out the richness of that individuality and showing how it can join with others to create something that's far greater than any one individual. So in a sense, on the cosmic level, where the Kabbalists and the mystics talk about unity, how to discover unity in a fragmented universe, how to discover unity in a world of plurality or duality, this is the key. It's not to overlook or to ignore the individuality and the diversity of existence, of all the multitudes of of, of existence. It's recognizing them all, but then coming and recognizing that there's something that when they join together, they create a word, like the word bless. They create an energy. They create a synergy that's more than the sum of the parts. And each one is enriched, and each one is appreciated, and everything is working perfectly. Why is it complicated for us? Because we come with baggage. And our baggage doesn't even allow us to even entertain the possibility of communicating with an L. Our B doesn't let us communicate with L. Or we want upmanship, or we feel that someone's taking something away from us. And there may even be legitimate reasons that we've been hurt. But as a result, what happens is you're trapped in your own little myopic box in the box, and not recognize and be able to actualize your great potential. So very practically speaking, you have a conflict with someone. So there's some conflicts perhaps, you know, someone, a third party may say, an objective party, maybe it's not worth the effort. But let's say it's a conflict with someone you really care about. Maybe the time is to revisit a conflict and recognize that, let me look for the third option. So here's the key thing. Always look for the number three that you may have overlooked. Because it's natural and easy for us to gravitate to the black, to the white. Retreat, progress. Failure, success. Yes, no. Hold them, fold them. And the third means going a step beyond that. Going beyond your arguments for each one of them, seeing is there some third dimension that if I embrace that will allow me not only to have number one and two, but also to bring out the richness of each of them. Let's think of art as an example. Color blue is a beautiful color. Some people love the color red. As beautiful as they are, there's nothing comparable to when they join together in a beautiful masterpiece. Okay? What happens? The blue comes together with the red. I'm just using that as examples. Other colors, violet, yellow, greens, and so on. What do you see when you look at a beautiful masterpiece like that? You don't see the color blue alone. Think of, a, let's say, a sunset. The blue sky is getting darker as the sun sets. So we have the color of the sun, you have the color of the darker blue sky or the, or, and as the sun sets. What, what happens? Besides seeing the color blue or the color yellow or the other colors that are used in this particular depiction, this particular visualization of art, there's something else that happens. Actually, the red or the yellows or the greens or the other colors will bring out a richness that you would not have seen in the blue if you only had blue alone. Because the contrast... It brings out another dimension even in the blue. Because blue is beautiful for its, on its own, but you don't see all its... its you don't see it's all its... Um, its uh, what's the word? Uh, its uh, broader expressions and broader benefits until it's contrasted with other colors. The beauty of ex- excellent artists master that art. They know how to mix colors where each color actually enhances the other one. But you could say, how could red enhance blue? The answer is because there's something's a third dimension. 
It's not just blue, it's not just red. In the Kabbalistic discussions of this matter, this goes into some of the deepest secrets and the deepest discussions of how unity meets uh, diversity. And one of the key elements to remember is not to eliminate one or the other. So it's really understanding that diversity is not what we think it is. Diversity, most of us would define as being distinctions. That's true. That's on a surface level, ostensibly, diversity is distinction. This belongs here, this belongs there. But then there's another element it's called synergy. You have distinction in your office. You have closets, you have filing cabinets, in the kitchen you have cupboards, and different things belong in different uh, shelves and so on. And we all know we like order. But what's the end result of it? It's not just the order where the pepper is, where the sugar is, or where the milk is in the, in the fridge or other things. It's the combination of it all that someone comes and says, oh, this is a beautiful kitchen. This is a very organized office. This is a very um, a synchron- synchronized plan. And that's the key. So the, the interesting paradox, as the Kabbalists explain and Hasidic masters elaborate on, is how do you find that balancing act where you're able to look at individual forces and at the same time come to recognize not only how they complement each other, but how each one actually brings out the richness of the other. And when you're able to do that, then you discover the true secret of relationships, the true secret of conflict management, uh, conflict uh, resolution, the true secret of managing any of the forces that create tension and create um, and aggravate us or aggravate the system because you can look for that number three. I would say and submit that all the wars fought in history and all the battles is because they did not look for the number three. Number three is the vital component. You get caught up in your ego, you get caught up in your perspective, you get caught up in your state of experience, and that's where you stop. At best, you may see another opinion, okay, but you're still self-contained. That element of being able to transcend yourself and the other transcending the other, and both transcending each other and coming to discover, you know that there's something about blue and red coming together that they each can never do on their own is the key to everything. But we don't see it through. We allow ourselves to be demoralized or brought down by the immediate confrontation or conflict or tension or pressure and so on. The key is seeing it through. And you'll see those that do, that's the ones that find success. Because there's no such thing for them that, that is considered to be uh, adversity. Everything is part of building that bigger picture. Even if something doesn't work, you learn from that. And you learn to protect and make sure that that mistake is not made again. You build it into the system. If you never had made the mistake, you'd never have built it in. Even a mistake becomes part of the unity as, as, uh, that were this, as it were. So in that sense, the third path is re- there everywhere, waiting to be released. Cannot tell you how often you, look, you see it with your own eyes and the people involved, either in conflict or their anger or their bitterness or their just their narrowness, narrow view on the matter, doesn't allow them to see their own number three. So there is a third option. It's the third dimension that is deeper and more transcendent than the first two. The first two, as I said, defines things. But it's the third element that's key. So when you look at a very beautiful piece of art, or listen to a beautiful piece of music, or you see a structure that's standing strong, you may not see number three. 
Because like the spine is invisible. You see the outer levels, but you know that there must be some conductor here. Some force inside here that is conducting and making sure that there's a synchronicity and a harmony that, and balance that is taking place. So we all have the number three in everything we do, whether it's in our relationships with others, with our relationship with ourselves, our personal attitudes. So let's put it this way. Let's call it the hunt for the third path, to look for it, to seek it out. In any area in your life where there's a challenge, I assure you, should you pause and say, ask yourself, where is the number three in this challenge? The challenge will take on a different, a different, a different, um, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll take on a different attitude to the challenge. The challenge will take on a different role in your life. Because then you'll see it as an opportunity to discover the number three. And this is whether, as I said, internal conflicts or internal challenges or the ones you have with others, whatever comes your way. Now, of course, there are situations you don't even need to rely on the number three, just enough to look at something objectively and realize that there's no problem. And sometimes we just create one. But I'm talking about even if there is a perceived problem or a real problem, the number three is the secret to it all. And everybody can do it. It may need, I would say it should need, an objective person to help you see it through because sometimes you get caught up and you're so clouded, your vision is so clouded and your subjectivity biases and prejudices you, you may not be able to see it. But if you trust somebody, and you should find someone you can trust, and they can look and say, say, one second, here's a benefit in this. Here's a non-benefit in it. You can find that deeper dimension. Now, I want to qualify what I'm saying. Again, there are situations, I'm not going to suggest, if someone, let's say, has a business opportunity. Not every business opportunity necessarily is for you. You can come to discover after some, after some discovery and due diligence. It's not for me. So this is not a suggestion. In every situation you have to embrace fully. Some things you have to say, you know, this is not the time for me. But that doesn't mean you can't learn from it. However, there's the other side of the coin. How do you know that when you're rejecting, you're rejecting something is for the right reason? That's why you need to look at the third option. Because there are situations we're rejecting simply out of fear, out of over-caution, out of uh, lethargy, you know, the different uh, forces that are at work that, that shape and define our thinking. So the key thing to remember is, of course, you, have to, you need to find, determine, first establish whether it's worth the effort to look for the number three. This doesn't mean there are people we love, there are people we care about, there may be conflicts there, there may be disagreements. So obviously you want to find the number three there. There are situations where maybe it's best for you not to be involved in. But generally speaking, it's something that by divine providence has come your way, where it seems that this is something you should look at, the number three is a key element in really finding that ultimate success. And when you do, you open up, as I said before, vistas and horizons that you would never have ever seen before. So as the Kabbalists continue in their discussion of the, of the third option, of the third path, third way, they talk about this middle line I mentioned, the spine. Where does the spine run? The spine runs from the back of your, of your brain all the way down. The same idea that, as I said before, with the Briach the middle rod, that's the word I was looking for, the rod. The middle rod that keeps the balance among all these different sections. So it says it runs from one end to the other end. That's why it opens up all these new doors and our new perspectives. Because when you look at chesed, chesed only runs along the right path. Gvura runs on the left path. 
So yes, kindness is important, love is important, as, as is discipline and withholding and so on. Attraction, repulsion and so on. Same thing with the other right and lefts. But when you get to the middle path, what happens is, because it's not defined by its own self, and it doesn't allow you to be trapped by just looking at one individual entity or one cell, but it always looks at the bigger picture. So what do you think it does? It opens you up to the bigger picture. When you're caught up in the details, in the minutia, you never see the big picture. You can't see the forest from the trees. Or they say forest for the trees is the expression used. Why? Because you're caught up in the details. To connect dots, to have the bird's eye view, to have a vision requires the third path. The third path allows you to step back and see the benefits of one and benefit of two and realize each one is necessary, but there's a bigger picture. So that's exactly what it does. So it's interesting when we don't allow ourselves to get trapped in our own self-contained perspective, as valuable as it is, it doesn't let you see outside of your own box. So the third path allows you to open, it opens your eyes to see more, to see the value of something else. So the mere fact, think of this exercise. I, I use this a lot in my own work. Come up with a great idea, okay? And then you present it and people say, hey, that's nice. But then the healthy thing to do is challenge your own idea and say, one second, this is such a great idea. Why didn't anyone else come up with it? Not to second-guess yourself, just to, to challenge it, to stretch it. Secondly, look at the side, because you can sometimes get so euphoric, so enthusiastic, you lose sight of some of the downside. You say, so what's the wrong, what, 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 what are the pros and what are the cons? What's the worst-case scenario of this new idea? Then say to yourself, what happens if I did something exact diff- very different than this idea to achieve the same goal? The more you stretch it, the more you challenge it with different perspectives, what do you think is going to be the end? So initially you say, well, I'm just going to confuse myself. Why don't I just go with it? No, because you're looking for the truth. And if you're looking for the truth, challenging it stretches it. And you come to realize, okay, here are its benefits. Here are some of its liabilities. How can I counter? How can I neutralize the liabilities? How can I maximize the benefits? So challenging is actually part of the process of discovering, like I said before, with the blue and the red, the red helps the blue enhance it. The contrast allows you to bring out the richness of it. And that's very true in many situations where you see two people playing two different instruments, two people um, cooperating, how each one brings the best out of the other. Not only do they cooperate, not only don't they compromise each other, they actually bring out the best that you could never have been brought out without the other, so to speak, the resistance or the contrast or a very different style that in a way brings out your style and its strength each in its own time, each in its own way. So what, did, what, what, what this third path does, it takes you all the way up, in the language of the Kabbalists, all the way up to Keser. What's Keser? Keser is a bird's eye view. Sometimes comparable with desire, the will. The will to do something. Not the specific thing you're doing. You can have the will to conceive of an idea, the will to concentrate and contemplate an idea, the will to love, the will to withhold, the will to, even the will for compassion. The will for each one of the ten, of the, of the ten spheres. That's called kesa. That, 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 that there's the, the will for each specific detail, but the focus on kesa is on the will. And what difference does it make if it's your will to walk, or your will to talk, or your will and desire to conceive, or your will and desire to contemplate, chachma or bina, in the will level there's a certain equalization there. 
So as the Kabbalists put it, the Kesser dimension is a transcendent dimension that hovers above all the details. Sometimes it's comparable with number eight as well. Number seven, seven being the seven steps of structure, the seven components and building blocks of structure of the seven days of the week, seven emotions, seven years of the sabbatical, etc. And there's then the number eight, Shemiras HaMakif, as the Rajbo says. What does that mean? The Makif is the structure, is the cycle. And the Shemir is the protector of the cycle. It's like a hovering force that, so to speak, the conductor of the, of the orchestra that keeps everything in a certain synchronicity and harmony, which is necessary because when each one's focusing on their details, you need someone that looks at all of them. And that is what, what this middle path does. It takes you all the way back to the vision, to the vision and the big picture, the bird's eye view of all the details. And that only enhances, obviously, your ability to synchronize and to synthesize and to harmonize and create harmony between all these details. Now, the way this plays itself out in many situations, just to let's take an example of conflict. Two people have very different opinion about something, let's say it's spouses. They live with each other, they love each other, but they come to a, a, a block in their lives. They have different opinions. They're both strong-minded people and have very good arguments. They sit with a third party, third party who doesn't have any strings attached, no uh, attachment, no um, subjectivity, no biases. Listens to each one, state your case, state your case. Then what you try to do is say, okay, do you understand the other person's case? Um, they sometimes say, will say yes, sometimes they'll say no. Yes, I understand it, but I don't agree with it. Why? You listen to the argument. It could be a very good argument. The other person then responds, what about you? Do you understand the other person's position? And you go back and forth, back and forth. What you're really trying to do, firstly, is getting the lay of the land, trying to understand what everybody stands. You're also trying to see what they're made of. What tools do they have? Are they able to actually transcend their own interests? Number three, what you really want to do is lead them to this third path. There's a third approach. Is there any benefit in what, what your husband is saying? Any benefit in what your wife is saying? And try to see, can you even see that there's a benefit? Can you make a case for that? Now, why is that so vital? Because it's getting you out of your head. It's getting you out of your position, out of your rut, out of your locked position. And that can become a pattern, that can become a habit, that can become a routine. Very difficult to get one out of it. But getting someone out of it opens you up to other perspectives. And it may still be that you stand by yours, but you've seen another picture. Now, can I say, say that it's always easy to get there? In many cases, it's not. Because once there's a conflict, and once people are, dig in and into their positions, it becomes difficult. Their pride is involved. Their egos are involved. They don't want to be seen wrong. They may be sensitive or insecure about something. So a lot of other factors rather than just looking at something objectively. But what you really want to help people come to is the third component where you realize that, one second, your partner is in something, in a greater venture, in a greater enterprise, in a greater cause than each individual here. And when you come to recognize that, that third dimension, that's the key. Then you know you can deal with the conflict. You get to a place where either the conflict disappears because you've transcended it, or you realize that the conflict is fine as long as you both cooperate and you both realize that each one has to represent their position and it's important to have both strengths. Now, obviously, there are black and white situations. Where to send a child to school? You can't send a child to both schools. 
But you may learn something where each one says, here's, I like this school for this reason, I don't like your school for that reason. And you may learn from that. You may learn the benefits and strengths and say, you know what? With all being said, you may be right, but we have another alternative. The key is to get people out of their own structured, locked-in positions. To go back to the Kabbalistic model for this, so the Kabbalists also speak about this, you may be familiar with the idea, the Arizal, Holy Arizal, Isaac Luria speaks about the Tzimtzum. The Tzimtzum is what created actually a duality. The concealment of divine consciousness, allowing space for independent consciousness, our us. So now you have two so-called perspectives. The divine perspective, the human perspective. Can they meet? The answer is absolutely yes. How do they meet? They meet, think of a teacher and student. They may be two different paradigms, two different realities, but the teacher can reach the student, the student can reach the teacher. So the, the Arizal continues, says, after this concealment, after this quantum leap, a black hole, there's a tremendous paradigm shift within, where, where um, the divine reality became now concealed, so to speak, and now you have a human reality or independent, an individ, independent identity, a dependent consciousness, comes after the tzimtzum, after meaning conceptually after, comes a kavachut, nimshach, extended from the so-called energy that receded and allowed this space for another, emerges a kavachut. A kavachut means a line and a thread. That line and thread will weave the structure of existence. But since it's preceded by the tzimtzum, by the concealment, it now will not overwhelm existence. So take, think of the teacher-student. The teacher falls silent because he's such a brilliant teacher. He needs a pause, a silence, before he starts teaching. But then he begins to teach. But now he's teaching, spoon-feeding, at the terms of the student. So the student is not going to be overwhelmed and be annihilated by this process. The kav is a measurer. Kav hamida sometimes it's called. It's called measuring rod. The measuring line, kav. Similar to the briach that I mentioned before, the rod. And this extends, I mean, it's not physical, but conceptually it extends literally like a beam, like a, like a spine, and slowly weaves and creates existence. But the interesting thing that Kabbalists talk about in Hasidic discourses elaborate on this, especially in the classic Hemshech Ayim Beis, which I teach every morning. And again, anybody interested, you can go to our site and find more material, or you can send us an email, uh, your phone number rather, and we'll put you on a WhatsApp group where we post every day the latest class, fascinating material. And what he says there that the kav has two roles. One is it defines structure because it's like, think of it like a thread. So you're not thread, you have to like a needle threading and, and, you're, and, and you're weaving, you're knitting, you're, so, you're creating the tapestry of existence. But there's a second thing the kav does because it's light and it's rooted in the pre-symptom consciousness, it also has the power to unite and this, of course, becomes a big question. Is the kav a separator or a uniter? And the answer is both. It is a separator because it, it respects and defines distinction and structure. But in the process, it also creates the threads that connect them all. And the kav has both elements. And there's long discussions of how that works. But basically, two elements, two dimensions to it. So it, it, it separates and also connects which goes back to what we're discussing. So the kav is, on one hand, it comes from chesed. On the other hand, it comes from gvura. Chesed, because it's a flow. 
Gvura because it's a limited flow. It's only a narrow line. It's not just, it has its boundaries. It's not just unfettered and, and um, divine consciousness. It's a threat. And then comes Teferis, where the Kav is rooted in Teferis Hanelam, as the Kabbalists put it, in the hidden level of the third path. It's still hidden because it's the root of it. And what is this third path? This third path unites the two, the flow and the limit. So there's a flow, there's the gas, there's the brakes. And the third path, the third way, the third option, creates the balance between the two, that they work hand in hand in a perfect balance. So the Kav, therefore, is ultimately a number three dimension, because it ha- a, a third path, because it has the first two plus the third one. Applying it back to our lives, we too have the two elements. There are things where we give, that's our chesed. Gvur is when we withhold, the opposite. Each has an importance. When you're in a relationship, there's a time to give, there's a time to have space. Which one is it? It comes to Ferris and says you can do both. So chesed gvur themselves are just these two dimensions. And each one appreciates their own strength, and that's where it stays. Teferis comes and looks at both of them with a bird's eye view and says, one second, there's a bigger picture here. You know, think of it any good project, whether it's an architectural project or it's a film project. How many people are involved? But imagine there was no conductor, there was no architect, there was no um, director. What would happen? So then everyone would be doing this. The plumbers doing their thing, the electricians their things, the bricklayers are doing their thing, the carpenters are doing their thing, everyone's doing their thing. But you need someone who comes and says, one second, these are all pieces of a bigger picture. And you're all part of that bigger picture. And you remind them of that. So it's the coordinator, so to speak. It's the CEO. It's the one with the vision that says, all these are pieces of a bigger picture. And each one gets enriched because you realize... Oh, when I'm doing my part, there's someone else doing their part, and we complement each other, and we also, as I said before, the contrast brings out the richness of each one. So one brings out the best in the other. Now you may say this is a dream, this is fantasy, it's not doable. It's absolutely doable. You've seen it happen in relationships, you see it in projects, you see it in many success stories. In all success stories, it always comes down to there's the number three that makes the success. You ever read a book... Maybe a good book, but it seems very, uh, like very disjointed. And you read the ideas are there, but someone, there's something, either the editor or the writer, just did not combine the chapters properly. Or even in the chapter itself, sometimes a speaker. They say good things, but it's the wrong order. B comes before A, C comes before B. So you could say all the right things, but if it's not in an organized way, it's very disjointed and very dis- disconcerting and disorienting. So what is the key? The key is the number three that's missing there. The ideas may be good. They may even be structured. But their order, that coordinated element, sometimes you need that third part, part, uh, force to come in and look at it all and say, one second, let's just reorganize this and look how beautiful it becomes. That's what excellent editors can do. That's what excellent conductors do, excellent directors do. And everywhere in life you need that. So if a marriage, and no marriage is not, does not need help, you need who is the conductor? can be one of the two because they each have their own biases. So you want a third party as a friend to advise, but you want both of them to realize that there's a third element that both of them shouldn't be embracing. That's why we talked about the third partner, three partners. I talked about this a few weeks ago. The third partner. Now we're talking about the third option. So these are all connected to the same idea. And no matter what you have in a situation, whether you're having a kid 
trouble at school, or you have other issues or challenges at work, or your own in, 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 in personal internal issues, you'll always see you want to look for the number three because it's going to be lost in the shuffle because the one and two can be so dominant that they create so much smoke screens, so many smoke screens and so many distractions, you never get to number three. The number three is what you're looking for everywhere. And it exists everywhere. Because it's really what connects everything in the most beautiful fashion. So, as we are basically entered the summer months, and uh, just when you think of the seasons, summer is uh, followed following spring, following winter, following fall, autumn. The seasons are another good example for this. Look at the seasons. So each one benefits. We all know each season has its uh, beauty to it. Some of us prefer some seasons over others. But what is the real story with seasons? It's one story. It's one journey. A tree goes to sleep during the winter only to reawaken in spring, spring forth, to blossom in the summer, and to start going back to sleep in the, in the autumn and fall when the leaves fall, to go back to sleep. It's a process. Just like when we go to sleep at night, it's not an independent, separate, fragmented element in our lives. It's all part of the journey of re-energizing. So whatever we're going through, you'll always see this. You'll see the details. The detail, this is what's happening right now. So it's happening a moment later, a year later. And there's the bigger picture. In your own life, what's the narrative of your life? We know we have many details. We know we have our work. We have our families. We have our social lives. We have our history. We have positive things, negative things. But what's the larger narrative? You need the number three to answer that question. Because number one and two will give you the pieces. This piece, the positive, the negative. But what's the bigger picture? How do they all come together in a larger narrative, a larger story? Just giving more and more examples of the same idea. And wherever you see, wherever you look at life, always ask yourself, what is the third dimension? I know the first, I know the second, that's easier to identify. What is the third dimension? And guaranteed that when you look for it, you'll find it. Sometimes it'll be easier, sometimes harder. Sometimes you'll need a teacher, a mentor, a friend. This is one of the things we do at the Meaningful Life Center is exactly that, finding meaning for life. There's life, life is made up of many components. And then there's the purpose the mission statement, the connector, the hub that connects all the spokes. And it's completely achievable. And actually the secret for all success and the secret for happiness and the secret for peace of mind. Because you know that all the pieces are not just separate pieces, fragments. They all come together in a defined way. Again, using the Kabbalistic model, there's the Kabbalistic model of Toihu and Tikkun, the two worlds. Toihu is the world of chaos referred to in the second verse of the Bible in Genesis. The world was chaotic. What is chaos? Chaos means you have many forces at work, but you don't have a synchronicity, which is why it says in Kabbalistic teachings, again, Hasidic thought elaborates on this, and if you look on our site, I'm sure you'll find articles that supplement and complement this idea. What's the story? In the world of Tayyu, there's two kavim, it says. There's two uh, two lines, two uh, paths, two highways. It's missing the third one. So these are very strong forces. But imagine, God forbid, a person has a right side, left side, but their spine is compromised. What will happen? You're missing the centrifugal force that balances. It will not be able to stand properly. 
So that's what the, so it creates chaos. Now here we're not necessarily talking about chaos in a negative way. It can even be health, uh, holy chaos. But it's chaotic. A lot of energy, no balance. Comes the world of Tikkun, which is the counterforce, which is the alter ego, the, the parallel world. To tell you, Tikkun means repair, as opposed to chaos. What happens in Tikkun? Tikkun is the third path. So it's not just two paths. It's the third, the third way, the third option that allows and creates balance. So you don't just have two, two, um, two roads or two paths. You have the third one that takes both of them and ties them together into a beautiful tapestry, as we've discussed. So wherever you turn, you'll have these two options, the chaotic one, or you know you can minimize the chaos, but it's still going to be forces that are tugging at you, voices that are demanding of you, and then there's finding the third picture. That what is the picture behind it all? What am I driven by? What is the driving force that defines my life, as opposed to the circumstances? And what you want to do is reverse the process. Instead of you being a product of your circumstances, a victim, a result of your circumstances, you want to be the cause of your circumstances. So it's not your circumstances define you. You define your circumstances. As I always say, you ask someone, what, who are you? They tell you, they give you their business card. But that's what you do. That's not who you are. And so and people respond, what I do has become who I am. You want the opposite. Who you are should define what you do, not what you do defines who you are. And that's the key to finding, again, the number three. Who are you? Ayeka, as God said to Adam in the Garden of Eden. Where are you? I don't recognize you. You've wandered away. You may be doing all kinds of interesting things and good things, but where's that center path? Where's the center of your life? The center that balances all the details. The highway that has all the branches coming from it. Look at a tree. Again, a tree has many branches, but it all comes back together. All the branches come back to the trunk of the tree, to the main line, to the main artery like it is with a water main or whatever type of main. And then it branches off. That keeps the balance. So branching is great. Go everywhere, explore everywhere, but it has a place where it all originates from and, co- and can return to. And, and that maintains the balance. So my friends, the third path. We introduced the third option in your life. You could easily access it by looking for it. There's always a third option. Never two options alone. There's one, there's two, but there's always a third option. The third option will inform one and two. This doesn't mean we have to embrace everything. It doesn't mean we have to reject everything. It means looking at all angles and finding the third path, and you'll always be enriched by that. And even the things you'd end up not doing, but understanding the argument for doing it, gives you a lot more confidence and resolve and recognizing that it was the right thing to do instead of second-guessing and later saying and having regrets and doubts. So this has been the third path, the third option. We're here every week, Wednesdays, 8.30 p.m. on Facebook, on YouTube. Share this, like it, and please be part of our community as we are part of yours. It's a spiritual community of kindred spirits, each individual, but at the same time we have a synthesis, a connection, an integration of a synergy that's more than the sum of the parts while also enhancing each component. That's our philosophy and that's our mission. Thank you very much and everyone be blessed. Until next Wednesday.